Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey listeners, quick programming note. After our conversation with Molly Cahillane discussing the end of the WGA strike, tune in for my one-on-one conversation with not-co-CMO Fernando Machado that we recorded live at Brand Week in Miami. During our chat, we discussed the current state of plant-based marketing and the cool things not-co is up to, including how they incorporate AI into their product development. Fernando Machado is one of the most innovative leaders in the industry, and we hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. And now, our latest episode of Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, a show where we discuss trends, marketing, pop culture, and the end of the Hollywood writer's strike. I'm Rebecca Stewart, Europe Brands Editor at Adweek, and I'm happy to be back from vacation and joined by my brilliant co-host and Adweek's community editor, Liz Corona. How are you, Liz? I'm so good, Bex, now that you're back. Um, I hope that you enjoyed your vacation. We've missed you, and I'm sorry, Al had to step in on a few episodes, (laughs) and we just had some guest hosts, but um, we really missed you. (laughs) Yeah, no big deal, just some celebrity guests. And yeah, Al, you did an amazing job. Thank you both. You smashed out of the park. Excellent. This is this is great. That was Al, everybody. We are recording in studio, and this is what you can look forward to. There's lots of buttons for Al to press. <laughs> um, and also in the Adweek studio, we have Molly Cahillane, Adweek senior TV reporter. And it's been a busy few days for you, Molly, because the writer's strike has ended after 148 days. Can you bring us up to speed on everything that's been going on? And are you okay? <laughs> that is an excellent question. Uh, well, thanks for having me back. It's good to be here. And I'm watching Al press all these buttons and begging him not to. Al, don't you do it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Sponsor us, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's probably an ad sponsored by Alan and Buttons. Um, yeah, so, okay, what's been going on? Um, I'm tired, thank you. Uh, Sunday night was when the writer's strike reached a tentative end. Um, it was after day, nonstop days of meetings between studio executives and the, the guild, um, which hadn't happened in 148 days, especially we had like Bob Iger was there, like CEO of Disney. Things were happening. So I, I knew it was probably going to come this weekend. And I was like, Sunday night, 1030. Let's go. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we reached a tentative deal. And we, I'm not part of the WGA. They reached a tentative deal. Um, and that still needed to be approved by the <sighs> Um, by the guild, the members, that vote went through Wednesday night unanimously. So now the writers are able to return to work. Um, so we will start seeing some scripted content come back. Um, it's not fully ratified yet. Everything has to be finalized, and that'll happen between October 2nd and October 9th. 
Gotcha. And um, I mean, a lot of a lot of parts of the deal. Um, I know that this largely like had to do with the streaming services. I mean, Suits is like such a perfect example <laughs> of like a show that kind of got dusted off um, from the archives. And, you know, I from from my understanding of the strikes, like even though those guys are getting like kind of prime time on the s- small screen right now, they don't get the residual now with this contract in place they can start seeing some kind of residuals, like something like that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Suits is a perfect example of it because you have a show that's been off the air for years, um, but with no new content, com- no new scripted content coming out, Suits took off. It was one of the, mo- the top 10 most watched on Netflix for two and a half months, right? But the big sticking points for the deal were streaming residuals uh, and the use of AI. Um, and it, they've now reached an agreement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, advertisers have had to really adapt. Like, we had an episode of, yeah, that's probably an ad earlier in the year where we talked about how reality TV and unscripted had had a really big moment um, because of the writer's strikes. How are they going to have to adapt now that, you know, the deal's been made and, you know, things are in motion to get back to normal? I'm trying to remember if I was on that episode. Uh, I, I don't. Think- Oh, wait, I think Bill it was, was Bill. Bill, Bill yeah. yeah. Uh, the talented Bill Bradley, who's actually been doing a ton of coverage around this, too. Um, so he's working on a magazine story right now that should be coming out soon that does dive into the full impacts around buyers and agencies. But yeah, I mean, advertisers are going to have to adjust with the strike over. Uh, hopefully, scripted content is coming back, though. I don't know how the networks are going to adjust yet because they'd all um, altered their full schedules already, right? Um, but I mean, even with streaming, things are changing too, and it's giving more opportunities for advertisers. Like Amazon Prime just announced um, that in January, Prime Video is going to be ad supported. Um, so that's just a whole nother area for buyers and advertisers to get into. Um, it'll be you can still have it ad free for another two ninety nine uh, per month because, of course, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, why not? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you're seeing that across the board, like Hulu, Netflix. Disney have all raised their prices within the last year mm-hmm. um, and and launched ad-supported tiers. It's just, it's a very shifting landscape, which is part of the reason the strike happened, right? Because it hadn't been adjusted for the streaming world. Yeah. So my question is, Molly, just because I have like so many friends agency side who, especially like linear and with their media buying and everything, they were impacted, um, especially because this kind of coincided with upfront deals, right? So are upfront deals done, but can they still kind can they be kind of reversed now and include more? Like, how does that work on the TV yeah. side? No, that's a good question. Um, so the upfront deals are closed. Um, it was a much slower market this year, not necessarily because of the strike, more because of the just the softer economy, mm-hmm. um, softer ad market. So you'd usually see things closing in June, July. Things were not closing till the end of August. There is still opportunity, though, for advertisers to buy into the TV landscape. It's the scatter market. So not, not everything's completely sold out. But I mean, upfronts are basically turning into a year-long thing at this point. Bill and I are always tired. (laughs) (laughs) So much Um, to cover. But yeah, so those negotiations are going to start again soon for next year. Gotcha. Molly, as you mentioned, like this comes at a really pivotal point for the industry and, you know, TV and media budgets are an industry like ripe for innovation. But at the start of the strike and during those upfronts, we saw a lot of budget shift to platforms like TikTok. How will TV media owners kind of convince advertisers, uh, convince media agencies to come back, basically? That's a great question. And I can speculate. I don't have a full answer. Um, But I mean, the strike started, I think it was May 11th, right? in the middle of upfronts. Um, so picketers out, 
at all the upfronts. It was certainly a time to report on it. But this has been a trend that's been happening even before the strike, just with this shifting ecosystem of agencies shifting budgets into whether that's digital platforms like TikTok, which is now in the new fronts. Uh, That wouldn't have happened three years ago, mostly because TikTok wasn't really a platform three years ago. Um, But then you have like Netflix joining the upfronts. You have Prime Video and Amazon in the new fronts, Roku in the new fronts. It's just all these new platforms. So that's this has been a problem for buyers and agencies for the last few years to try and figure out what percentage of spend do they want in linear? What percentage do they want in digital? What percent connected TV, streaming? Now there's like the bucket is just so much bigger now. Um, and you're seeing publishers kind of reflect on that too, right? Like with all, the, and as, as I said earlier, all the publishers that are now do have ad supported streaming platforms, they're seeing this digital trend too, right? Like so now Disney Plus, Netflix, uh, HBO or Max, formerly HBO Max, um, all have ad supported tiers. Prime Video, I'm really curious what they're going to do next year in terms of their ad supported. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily that publishers need to convince agencies to come back, but more try and figure out what the optimum balance is between a linear and digital spend, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So my question also, because I know part of the strike um, also touched on transparency about like the streaming and the data that came with it, because I feel like Netflix is um, an example of a streamer that doesn't really share their data as much. Um, So my question has to do with like measurement. Is this also going to change the space of measurement? Are we going to see kind of like more innovation there in terms of like CTV buys? Because before with linear, there was Nielsen, right? And that's kind of been like a big question mark around the streaming space now, especially as it's boomed, is that there's not as much transparency. It's hard to measure, you know, like the impact of everything. So do we think that this is kind of going to kind of spur the measurement sector a little bit to like kind of change things? I'm not sure how much of an impact the strike ending will have on the measurement side of things, um, but that is a good question and it is a good point because part of the conditions of the deal were when it comes to streaming, there's a new residual contract based on viewership, right? right. So we need to be able to accurately measure the streaming numbers. And I mean, Netflix self-reports, Nielsen's figuring it out with Nielsen One, but then you have all these other platforms, Comscore, VideoAmp, iSpot. A 605, um, just that are all working on kind of their own deal too. Gotcha. And then you've got the Joint Industry Committee, which is OpenAP and a whole bunch of publishers that are working to create a whole new set of standards. So I think in the measurement space, we are going to see a lot of innovation over the next year or two. I mean, Nielsen and Thursday Night Football and Amazon are now working together in a new way. Um, so it's it's moving quickly. In terms of with, whether the strike itself will accelerate that, I don't think so, mm-hmm. but it does have an impact. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the writer's strike is over, but the actor's strike is not. Like, how will that continue to impact the industry? I mean, the writers can write all the content they want, but if they don't have actors <laughs> to act, we're still not getting content. Um, but it was more in solidarity, right, that the actors went on strike? N- not really. Um, oh, it was oh. so they – oh, because they can get residuals too. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of the Suits actors, yeah. um, right? Like, they didn't get from all this boost in Netflix. Yeah, exactly. And, like, when you hear about an actor's strike, I, I'm thinking, like, people that aren't in our industry, right? Their first – a lot of people's first – reaction was kind of, they make millions of dollars, why are they striking? Yeah, maybe 1% of them make millions of dollars, but if you think about SAG-AFTRA, there's so many people that are just literally 
like if you, you you can be an extra in a TV show and be part of SAG-AFTRA and get screwed over by the major studios and by the deals, right? Um, so that's part of the reason that it's striking. It's striking for everybody. Um, and in terms of in solidarity, they did not go on strike to be on in solidarity with the writers. They did show up on the picket line with the writers in support of their strike. But the, the actors are still very much trying to figure it out. And they're not close to a deal. They have not met with the studios in two months, I uh, want to say. Gotcha. So we've still got a ways to go. Yikes. Suits reboot? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> did you see the rumors about an office reboot? Yes, I did see oh my that. God. We love the rumors. I saw a tweet that, that was like, huge news for the most annoying person you know. <laughs> <laughs> Me? Yes. All of us in this room. <laughs> no, you're not annoying. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just hoping, and Beck, sorry, I, like, I cut you off, but um, I don't know. Are we going to see the Suits actors in a Super Bowl spot? You know, I just feel like this is kind of like a little bit of a cultural moment, mm. too. Like, I feel like this might work its way into, like, a, a spot in the Super Bowl. That's my theory. Heard it here first. Oh, we're talking Super Bowl already. I'm yeah. scared. Only because we were at this morning's <laughs> edit meeting. Like, we already started talking Super Bowl, so that's top of mind. So, Brands, if you start <laughs> hearing from your reporters, from your local Ad Week reporters, we want to know if you're in the Super Bowl. Yep, let us know. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting, actually, because like Luz, I thought that the actor's strike was kind of tied to the writer's strike and it was in solidarity. So good that you clarified that, Molly. Um, and, you know, as you said, Bill is working on a piece um, that we're on an ad week's print edition around this where our listeners can get lots more insights. So I think this is a good place to wrap it up because we still don't know enough. And I think in the next few weeks and months, more will unravel agreed all right well thank you guys so much for having me you know i love to talk about tv yes and you know what amazing job (laughs) you and bill are just killing it i highly encourage our listeners to uh to check our tv beat i mean i think they do because your stories are always trending on the site so (laughs) great job guys thank you very much i'm hoping i get some sleep soon Maybe. We'll see. No, the Super Bowl soon, Molly. No, yeah. oh, don't say those words. <laughs> scary <laughs> words. Super Bowl. I'm sure. <laughs> Halftime show. Yeah. So thanks, Molly. And thanks, Luz. And thank you for listening. And please look out for Bill's piece in the next issue of Adweek. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Here I have with me at Brand Week, Fernando Machado from NACO. How are you, Fernando? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thank you. I, you know, we're squeezing this in. So let, let's get right <laughs> to it. Okay. So I think you're very well known in the industry for your time at RBI, working on Burger King. Now you're on the opposite end of the spectrum, I would say, in plant-based marketing with NACO. What 
did you learn, or what were some of the learnings from your past experience that you have applied in this role? Yeah, I think, look, I mean, the way I see my career, I always try to make choices where I will continue to have a steep learning curve in terms of doing new things. Um, from my 18 years at Unilever doing a lot of marketing or being learning marketing from a school that believes in brands and believes in purpose to moving to Burger King and trying to make a difference there. Burger King then became Burger King, Popeyes and Tim Hortons. Uh, that was RBI. Um, but even if you look at the work that we did for Burger King, we did lots of purposeful things. Uh, we tried to improve the quality of the food. Uh, we launched the Impossible Whopper back in the day which was the first plant-based burger in, like, scale. That's right, right? yes. Um, and we launched plant-based basically, like, everywhere in Europe. Uh, we did different partnerships. We did a partnership with Unilever, with the vegetarian butcher in Europe. So, um, and um, me and my team, we were leading the charge uh, when it comes to that, improving the quality of the food, giving alternatives to people, uh, doing things that were more sustainable. We created the ESG plan for RBI. Um, I moved from RBI, I moved to Activision Blizzard. I, I, I love gaming and I wanted to have an experience on something that was purely digital. Um, and, um, and when Notco came, knocked on my door, it, it, to me it felt like a unique opportunity to work on a startup, a startup where people are very ambitious when it comes to creative. It's food, but it's trying to change the food industry. It's a challenger brand. Many of the ingredients I like uh, with people that everyone I've met was like awesome, uh, not just professionally, but like the, the people behind the brand. Um, so I decided to make that change, you know, and, up, and for sure apply many of the things I've learned and the kind of like the pushes I did, like in the case of Burger King with Plant Base, uh, to something that I believe in, uh, which is the, the business that, that we have with Notco. Gotcha. And that's right. I forgot you guys had the impossible yeah. whopper. So yeah, that, that makes total sense. So I'm glad that you, you touched on the startup angle of, of this because the, the plant-based food space is currently right now, you know, let's be real about the space. They're suffering from some sales drops. You know, there are stepped up attacks from like the big beef, um, you know, companies and press. Um, our colleague, Terry Stanley, does a really great job covering all this. And most recently, she did a piece on food, led, food leaders considering a coalition to boost industry. Basically, almost like, you know, some of the, the brands in this space coming together for like a Got Milk campaign, you know, advocating for plant-based foods, you know, kind of fighting those those claims that it's not great for you and, and all that. Um, you know, what can the this emerging industry do to fight back against, like, big agriculture and, and all that? Yeah, like, I, I honestly don't think about fighting back, mm -hmm. you know? Like, uh, at Notco, we, like, our vision is to change the food industry, um, doing things in a much more efficient way, doing things in a much more sustainable way. Um, we know, though, that we cannot change the food industry alone, you know, like, uh, so we do loads of partnerships, whether it's partnerships with restaurants. In fact, the first time I've heard the word Notco was when we were talking to Notco, when I was still at Burger King, this is years ago, and we were talking to Notco to do a collaboration in Latin America. Wow. Today, Notco has nine different countries uh, with Burger King in Latin America. Um, and uh, we have an awesome joint venture with Kraft Heinz in the U.S., where we are partnering with them to do 
every single one of their main products to the plant-based version of them. Uh, we announced today uh, a development partnership or collaboration with Mars Wrigley. So, wow, um, that's the way I see it. You know what I mean? Like I'm honestly not necessarily like uh, working working to fight back. Like uh, you know, I, I'm we're just trying to tell people the truth and like uh, create great tasting products that have a positive, uh, a much better impact for uh, when it comes to the planet um, and to people um, and making sure that people are aware of that. Gotcha. And can you tell us a little bit more about this partnership with Mars Wrigley? Yeah, like uh, to me, it's part of like the ongoing process that we have in terms of like connecting with other companies, bigger brands, brands that have a specific need in terms of uh, plant-based products or in terms of flavors or um, and we use our technology to to help them, like just so that just like what we're doing with Kraft Heinz, where this year we already launched like the Kraft cheese, which is powered by Notco, right? I mean it's on the front of pack. We launched Not Mayo through Kraft Heinz, and we are working on everything like Oscar Myers, mac and cheese, mm-hmm. um, uh, Philadelphia cream cheese to do their version of the product. You know, and hopefully Mars, we just announced it today. So um, there will be a scope of work there too, where the two brands will collaborate, the two companies will collaborate, and the brands underneath Mars has some amazing brands. Um, and I'm sure like some interesting things will come. That's great. So right now you're saying that NotCo, you're focused more, a little bit more on partnerships and just kind of getting messaging out there. Um, would you say, like, how focused are you guys on kind of combating, like, the taboos around this space and everything? Or is that something that you're kind of trying to do, but through your partnerships and marketing? No, I think that, like, I think that our key message is, like, basically like showing to people the positive impact that we can have to the planet. Uh, and to animals in general, because we don't have any, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and making sure that we have great tasting food, which is one of the key drivers, uh, which is the key driver um, uh, of the category. Um, we are also le- trying to leverage our AI to create what we call elevated products. You know, it's products that are plant happen to be plant-based, but what they um, they are basically like not necessarily just a match to an animal-derived product. Gotcha. You know, they can give you better nutrition. Um, they can give you uh, a different taste or a new, unique taste, and so on and so forth. Um, so, and, and, and when I think about, because there are other plant-based um, companies um, on the space, like many of them, they have a somewhat similar approach. You know, like they, they believe on the products that they have, just like we believe on ours. And we try to because I think that there is still a lot of education that we can do to people. They try to explain what is good about the product, what is the environmental footprint of the product, um, and have people try the product. The repeat rate of our products is very high. Now, so the proof is a bit in the product. You know, like when people try, they like it. Uh, and the more you get involved with the brand, the more you know about the positives of the brand. Uh, and I think that's kind of like the path. You know, I, I don't believe much on growing by um, trying to um, defend yourself against the, like a more traditional player. You know, like uh, if other players want to invest money uh, to kind of like uh, say bad things about the plant-based industry, so be it, it's natural. Like they're just trying to defend their turf. Right. Uh, I think that in my case, I'm much more focused on 
explain to people why the products are great. Gotcha. And, um, and and I think that's great. And I think that's kind of where it looks like the industry is a little bit divided right now. Like, do we pay attention to these efforts, you know, or do we just focus on our product and, and get that out there? Um, so the last question I want to end on, and actually this caught my eye on the NotCo website, is the technology part, right? Yep. And the AI and how you guys are really just at the intersection of like food and technology. Yep. And I think there's even, uh, is there a nickname for the AI? There's a name, yes. Yeah. What, who, what is the name? And tell me a little bit more about that because yes. it's very interesting. Yeah. So our AI, we, we call our AI Giuseppe. Giuseppe. Um, it's inspired on the this art, this Italian painter from the mid-1500s called Giuseppe Archimboldo, who used to do this kind of like portraits with vegetables and fruits. You probably have seen one at some point because yeah. very famous classic images. And um, so it's kind of like creating art with plants. So that's why the AI was named uh, Giuseppe. Like the, the, the AI team that we have at Notco is really outstanding. You know, from the co-founder, Karen, who comes from AI background, to Ajit, who is the VP, to Macarena, who is also part of the team. We have a very pretty large like AI team. Um, and it's just amazing what they're able to do and how it gets better and better every time. Uh, originally, what we used to do was basically like kind of like get the animal product, the animal-derived product, and do a read, almost like a snapshot of the DNA of the product, like chromatography study, physical properties, all that good stuff feed that into Giuseppe, and Giuseppe would propose five different recipes or formulations that would match that animal target uh, with plant-based ingredients. Then the chefs and the R&G team, so you need humans plus AI, it's not in isolation. Uh, the chef and the R&G team, which is incredibly talented, they would prepare the products and give feedback to Giuseppe on, hey, number four, number five is the best. Then Giuseppe would create another five based on that input. So over time, through these interactions, you end up like converging uh, into like a, a superior product. We do that faster and faster every time. The first product that was created was not Mayo, and it took 18 months to do it. Wow. One of the last products that we did, which was the Shake Shack Custard and Shake, it took us three weeks to do it. Wow, yeah, so, that's amazing. And, and honestly, it will be even shorter uh, uh, moving forward. Uh, we also learned that Giuseppe can go beyond just matching to the animal target. Uh, you can do things such as, hey, Giuseppe, this is chocolate. Humans love chocolate. Propose a taste that doesn't exist based wow. on the fact that humans like this. Yeah. And I did try that product, and it tastes amazing. Um, or, hey, I want to create a milk that has a different sensorial profile or a, a different level of nutrition. You can do all that, you know, like, so matching the animal target to me, it was just step one. Like uh, what gets me really excited about tec the technology is like, how can we use the technology that keeps getting better and better? That's kind of like the nature of artificial intelligence uh, to create things that will completely change the industry. Right. Uh, and by the way, they will be plant-based. And by the way, they will have like a much better sustainability footprint. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you said it's a it's a mix of AI and still humans because yep. it, you know, it takes both. And, and yep. I think you guys are, it seems like you're using it for efficiency purposes and things like that. Yeah, to me, AI augments humans' capacity right. um, and will hopefully allow us to do things that we would not be able to do by ourselves. 
like I'm Brazilian, so I'm hopeless optimistic about things. Yes, we love um, it. <laughs> yes, and um, uh, so I see, uh, like, I know that lots of people are afraid of AI, and I know that, I'm not saying that we should be responsible, I think that we do need to set some boundaries and legislation, everything, every new tech uh, goes through that process, but I think we will be better off at the end of the day uh, with this type of technology than had we not have AI. Incredible. Well, this was, I think that's a, a good note to end on. Um, and thank you so much, Fernando, for joining us. I'm looking forward to see what you guys do next. My pleasure. Great to, to be able to chat. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by me, Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.